You guys feeling okay? I mean, I'm so glad everybody's back. It's been a long time. I feel like this is so fun to see all of you here. Uh, I can't wait till this time next year where there won't be any, hopefully, social distancing rules. It'd be so great. All right, so we are in a time of max tension. Has anybody else felt that lately? Like, have your social media feeds been felt or felt the weight of tension and people feeling a little bit angry? A little bit? Um, Yeah, we're in a series called Politics and Jesus. And uh, if you didn't know that, uh, my so I just posted I'd be talking about today. Um, we're going to be tackling the question, who should I vote for? And man, people got angry. So uh, we're going we're gonna to jump into that question. I'm really excited about it. Uh, maybe that's why you're here. You're like, oh my gosh, his, his post caused a lot of anger. People got a lot of rage. And so at least you came to church today. I'm so excited for that. Listen, um, uh, listen, if you have any questions, one of the things I love to do is answer your questions. By the, name, by the way, if you didn't know, my name is Chris Plug and Paul. I'm the lead pastor here. And if you have any questions, we're going to leave this number on the screen, uh, which is just text me. And we have my Pastor Plex podcast. I'll answer all those questions there. Uh, if you want to talk about uh, voting, if you want to talk about Jesus, if you want to talk about anything, I will be ready to answer all those questions. So I'm excited about that. Yeah, thank you. You can get, you can get excited for that. Now, uh, listen, the, the tension this week was not only felt uh, on social media and the political sphere. Uh, in our offices at Wells Branch Community Church, there was some tension, there was some conflict over the past week. And it got heated, and it got close, and it was tense. But you're probably wondering what could have been so intense that made my heart, my heart was literally racing because I didn't know how the outcome would come. Especially the conflict was between me and Joseph Aiken. But I wanted you to know I prevailed. In fact, um, you were probably wondering what I prevailed in. My fantasy football team defeated! Are you Aiken? Mighty Plexstars reign supreme. What a battle! After a back-and-forth matchup featuring three lead changes, Mighty Plexstars earned a come-from-behind win over Are You Aiken, coming back for a 139 to a 137 victory. Now listen to me, listen to me, listen to me. There was one point I was down in the polls. 95% chance of losing, but did I quit? No, I did not. It came back up to, it was like about 60-40. And then it went to about 90-10 again. And then after Chicago Bears fumble recovery and ensuing touchdown, I stood atop the world as the fantasy king. Because R.U. Aiken and Joseph Aiken are the reigning fantasy football champions of our league. And I had to show them that the Lord was clearly... On my side, two-year reigning champion over here, and the Lord has been on my side. To which you're going, what is he talking about that has zero significance? That who cares about your, listen, we've got this to talk about. We don't want to care, hear about your fantasy football ridiculousness. To which, this is my point. Listen, listen, this is, you got to hang with me here. You see, there's something going on. Like, clearly, my heart was racing. I'm not, I didn't make that up. As it got to the end, and I, there was a chance I could win, I'm like, no, it came back from my, like, it wasn't even a chance. And my heart was racing, and victory came, and the Lord smiled down upon me. <laughs> and I think, if we're honest, isn't that how it is with our politics? We get so amped up. We get so excited. And listen, God invites us to participate in fantasy football as well as politics. Did you guys know that? That there is a camaraderie built between Joseph and me because we are trying to strategize and form a victory with stats and numbers, which have real zero relevance outside of what we make of them. And the same way, listen, listen, there have been uh, political divisiveness has been happening since dawn of time. Do you guys remember, it was like 20 years ago, Gore versus Bush? You guys remember that? Like the Supreme Court had to come in and say, stop the count, and we're just going to go with the 524 votes or whatever it is that Florida voted for Bush over Gore. Do you guys remember that? Sort of. Like some of you are like, what? That happened? 
And so what's going to happen, listen, 20 years from now, people go like, there was something that happened in the 2020 elections, but you really won't be able to put your pulse on it because it'll be just as divided then as it is today, as it was thousands of years ago. Did you guys know that? And so I want us to get to a place where we have a proper perspective of how we should vote. Because I do think, we said last week, I said this last week, that God invites us to actively participate in, in voting, in politics. And you should, and you're passionate about it, and that's good. God put that passion inside you. However, the part that gets not so good is the part where we turn on other people who are god believing, Christ-following people, and we start name-calling, we start bringing a lot of friction into because our identity is more in our party than it is in Jesus. And that's the dangerous part, okay? And so um, I want to kind of help you out because some of you have voted. Well, how, who, how many of you guys have voted? Okay, you guys are about like everybody. All right, so for the, some of you online who haven't voted yet, no, uh, there's about 20 of you here that hasn't voted. That's good. And so, listen, honestly, this is going to be good for us to talk about this because this is going to be talk, something to talk about for generations to come of who you should vote for. But what's happened a lot of times, we, we vote poorly. We make poor decisions, and here's why when it comes to voting. Because we think God identifies with our party. Right? Just like, you feel, like I felt like God identified with my fantasy football team, I think that a lot of us think that God identifies with my party. And so our identity isn't rooted in Jesus necessarily. Our identity is rooted in a specific party with a specific platform and a specific things. And then when that platform is ungodly, we still stick with it somehow. And so I'm going to challenge you to take a look at who you're voting for. I'm going to challenge you to take a look at does this... I, does this line up with God as opposed to does God line up with my party, okay? And then secondly, when it comes to that, we don't know what to look for. Like you'd say, fine, Chris, I'm on board with, you know, looking for what God would want, but we don't know what even to look for in a candidate. And so this morning, um, I'm going to do a little bit of Bible surfing. I don't love to do Bible surfing because it's always irritating when somebody else does it, uh, but I'm going to do a little bit. We're going to be in two passages primarily today. One is Joshua 5. And then we're also going to be in Romans 13. Joshua 5 and Romans 13 are the two passages we're going to be at. And so this morning, we're going to really kind of tackle this question of who should I vote for? And I'll tell you where I'm going at the end of this, okay? So hang in. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for being a God in charge of the vote. Thank you for being sovereign over decisions. Thank you for calling us to actively participate in politics. Thank you for uh, actively to make our voice heard, but thank you for our call to, above all things, to love one another. And God, I pray that we would do that. Not just at Christmas. Not just at Easter. Um, but on Tuesday. On November 4th and 5th and 6th that we'd be a place of joy and hope and our identity be firmly, firmly rooted in who you are. So Lord, help us to wrap around mind around all that. And God, I pray that you'd hide me behind the cross and anything that um, comes out as divisive, you would bring a sense of joy and peace. And if I need to challenge somebody, I pray that you, they'd be challenged by your Holy Spirit power. We love you, Lord. It's all for your glory, we pray. And everybody said, amen. All right, here we go. So we're going to be in Joshua chapter 5. Uh, if you're not familiar with uh, Joshua, Joshua was uh, Moses' right-hand man. So Moses uh, has uh, the job of leading about two million Israelites, and he is leading them through the wilderness, and if the time has come for them to enter into the promised land, Moses disqualified himself because he got a little bit angry at people, as, I mean, who would do that? Like, you know, because church people are so easy and so nice. And so he gets angry at them at one point, and he doesn't honor God. <clears throat> who would think that a, a godly leader wouldn't honor God? Because that's what happens to us. And so the Lord takes him home. He doesn't get to experience the promised land. And so then Joshua is raised up, and God does incredible miracles. He stops the flow of the Jordan River. All two million people cross over the other side. Once they get into the promised land, God gives Joshua this command, which is sort of an awkward thing to talk about, but we're all adults here. Uh, and he said, circumcise everybody. 
which is fine, but if you're about to go fight a battle, if you're about, like Jericho is the first city that you're supposed to take, and it's, you know, right over there. You're in scouts out distance from Jericho. And then he has everybody circumcise themselves. And this, you're on the disabled list for a while. Let's call it a couple days. In fact, um, what we learn about Israel's history is that at one point, uh, the sons of Israel, Levi and Simeon, uh, murdered an entire town. Yeah, this, we don't really talk about this because it's really not exactly flattering to God's people that they would murder an entire town, but they did. And the way that they did it is they got everyone to circumcise themselves and say, you can marry our sister if you circumcise yourself because that's like the thing that identifies us, and they all do, and so they murder them. Anyway, so that is like a history in their past, and so God calls on that. Maybe that's judgment. You know, welcome back uh, to the nation. Welcome back. And they do that, and they, they obey God in that. And so that's sort of an awkward thing. So on the heels of that, Joshua is going to have an experience. God's man, God's leader, after they've just circumcised themselves to mark themselves as God's people as they're in the promised land. And Joshua's going to have an experience with a theophany. All right, someone needs to write that down because you've never heard the word theophany before. Theo is uh, Greek for God. Fanny uh, means an appearance. Okay, theophany. And then uh, we're going to call it a Christophany because uh, it's going to be like a pre-incarnate Jesus shows up in the Old Testament. This is one of those moments, all right? So your two vocabulary words for, t- for today are theophany and Christophany. How fun is that? All right, so if you've ever wondered, I just don't get fed anymore at church, that's your moment of getting fed. Okay. All right, so we're in Joshua 5. They, he's just circumcised the nation. They are now getting ready for battle. And all of a sudden, like, and Joshua's really worried about this. He's about to go into battle and he's going to have an encounter with God. Here we go. <clears throat> Joshua 5, verse 13. When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man. This is why it's Christophany, by the way. So hang on to that word. You might underline, highlight it. Behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword. When your sword is drawn, that means you're ready to kill. It's like having your gun pointed or pointed. Okay? And Joshua went to him and said to him, great question, by the way, are you for us or are you for our adversaries? He's about ready to go into a political campaign, a military campaign. God shows up on the scene. Are you for us or are you against us? Are you on my side? And I think everybody wants to know. And listen, this, listen, this is like you're looking at a commander of an army and you're like, I kind of want you on my team. I could really utilize you uh, when, my, when there's this like whole destruction of Jericho thing because we're about to go into a battle. Uh, we don't have any of the tools that you would normally use to take on a fortified city. So it would help if we have more soldiers. And look at verse 14. And he said no. <laughs> Isn't this just like how Jesus would answer? Listen, are you for us or are you against us? Should we pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we do this or do that? And Jesus always would answer with a question or an answer that like, was like, that's not even what I asked. No, isn't part of it. But then he like reorients Joshua and he says, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. You see, watch this. God called Joshua to be on his side not the other way around. To which you're like, but like God, you know, you would say, God, you're pretty much on my side. You're the one that told us to come here. You're the one, you've been doing, we've been on the same team for so long. How are, are you not on my side? But I think what God's wanting to see is that God doesn't pick sides. You're either for God or you're against God. He is the mighty warrior, and he never loses. It reminds me, um, uh, you know, especially at Halloween time, uh, we show pictures of like when I was uh, Austin's age, and I was wearing uh, a costume like when I was Peter Pan, 
you know, at a certain age, or when I wore my Chicago Bears uniform with a football helmet, and that's what Austin was this year, I was like, my man. And, uh, and it was cool. And they go, Daddy, you look just like me. And I go, mm-mm, mm-mm. You look just like me. That's the way this works. And I think we, when we forget that, right? Because sometimes we're really excited about our team. We really want to win. And we want God to want what we want. And we want God on our side. But that's not the way God works. God calls us to be on his side. I, I, I shared this last week. Uh, you guys remember, there were, uh, election time during 2016 was a bizarre time. And I probably should have prepared for it differently. As a pastor, you're, you know, there's so many things that you're sort of worried about and concerned about. And I just, like, I, I think elections are fun. I like politics. It's fun to talk about. But I, I just, I don't know. It, it doesn't rule my world because obviously I have a king and it's Jesus and all that. And so we were talking about finances during uh, the 2016 election. And at that time, I was talking about how to have margin in your life, to steward your time, steward your money for God's glory, which is stressful. Anytime you talk to Christians about money, they start going, where's my wallet? Where's my wallet? And uh, at that time, I had a a friend of mine who went to our church, and uh, he texted me after the elections were over. He's like, man, what are you going to do? What are you going to say about the fact that Trump won? We need to, our church needs to be in mourning. And I go, oh man, I'm not going to touch that with a 10-foot pole. And my whole thought was, I got, I'm going to have to talk about your money. How, that's what, so talking about your money and your politics, that's like, I'm stepping to the fire. I got, I could conquer one of these, but two at the same time. And I said, look, I'm not going to touch that. And he's like, you coward. We need to be in time of mourning because clearly we have missed God and the people, of it's all over for our country and the country is going to fall into a pit of despair, okay? And then I show up on Sunday and another guy, he goes, the Lord has heard our cries. We were down in the poles and the Lord's anointed rose up like for the phoenix from the ashes. And I'm like, and God's anointed is now sitting on the throne of our presence. Our country is saved. And I was like, it is true that God's will was done. And what happened is I found that there was, there was two very distinct different kinds of people at our church, like split right down the middle. And uh, I, was, I, didn't, I thought we were kind of, you know, red and blue or purpley. And, uh, but I didn't realize how like right down the middle it was here. Okay, so that's kind of fun. And so there are everybody from every angle and several people like left the church because you guys are not tro, tro, not pro-Trump. You guys should like sound the call to support Trump. And others were like, you need to, our church should be in sackcloth and ashes. And they left. And it kind of hurt my heart because of what happened, what I saw is that their hope was in a political party. Their hope became, it it moved from the person of Christ and maybe it moved to the person of Donald J. Trump. Or back then it was Hillary Clinton. And so my hope and my cry of my heart is that we've never even put our, I mean, listen, Donald Trump's been the president for the past four years. And my heart is that we wouldn't, our heart wouldn't drift because man, if you listen to media, and I talked about this last week. Their job is to peddle fear because fear sells advertising. Advertising gets more money and more money gets more advertising and advertising sells. And it gets into this cycle of whether you listen to uh, MSNBC or CNN or if you listen to Fox, if you listen to Rachel Maddow or if you listen to Rush Limbaugh, they're all of a sudden on either side, you've got this sense of, we gotta, if you, don't, if you don't buy what I'm selling, then we're gonna all be in peril because God couldn't possibly be on his throne if that guy became president. Okay. And can I just, can we just be honest? This is true, not, not just to politics, but this is where you see it come out. But you know where this happens a lot? Um, in dating relationships. 
Okay, can I, this, there is no difference between your politics and your dating relationship, especially on a breakup. Uh, this is where it gets heated. Come on. Somebody give me an amen on that. Like, when you break up, what happens? When you break up, it's like, you get your friends, you rally the fork. Okay, listen. When you have a smear campaign, because do you, do you understand what she did? Do you understand what he did to me? And then all of a sudden, everyone like, kind of gets up. Like they're, they're, and then it's like, then you got like my friends and their friends. You separate the friends. Everyone starts to pick a side. This, this just happens. Okay, okay, this happens in marriages. I, I get to be a marriage counselor for that kind of stuff a lot, and so I see you guys in here, and in, it's like someone's presenting their case of how, what an idiot that the person that they're married to is, and I'm like, but you married them, so what does that say about, you know, it's like. <laughs> okay, so, and everybody's sort of like, and then this comes into when you miss out on the dream job or the college thing didn't come through as if, God, I thought you were on my side. And there's this like hope and dreams were put into something that was not God. Our identity shifts from Jesus to people and to party and to things all the time. It happens. And so let's get back to Joshua for a second because you're like, well, what does that have to do with voting? We're just on girlfriends now. No, no, hang with me. Let's go back to Joshua who's wanting his side to win. There probably is nothing more relevant than this. Like here's Joshua. He's um, days away from a campaign. He's, he's wanting to take over a city. He's wanting to win. But you know what? All the odds are against him. It's going to take a miracle of God for him to win. And uh, he has no siege works. He has no uh, moving towers. He has no catapults. He has no any other weapons other than spears and swords, which is like taking a knife to a gunfight or taking a knife to a building fight. Either way, things aren't looking good for you. But let's watch what God says to Joshua in this. Look at this. This is just so cool. Verse 15, and the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take off the sandals from your feet. Remember, the question was, are you for us or against us? He's like, no, I'm a commander of the army. So take off your uh, shoes, buddy. For the place where you're standing is holy. This should bring up the memory of the burning bush. Remember the burning bush with Moses? Here's Joshua now taking the place of Moses. He has a burning bush experience, only this time it's a Christophany, okay? The theophany was the burning bush. The Christophany is this, okay? Here you go. So that's the place you're saying is holy. And then watch what Joshua does. He doesn't whine. He doesn't go like, like my children sometimes do and re-explain their position. <laughs> and Joshua did so. Because he understood that he, no matter what side he was on, he was going to lose if he wasn't on God's side. And, because we were saying, like, God, please, 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 please take, please take my vote and be on my vote side. Take my vote. Make sure that it, you got, multiply the vote. You know, like, I don't know how you do that. You're like, To Joshua obeyed God's will when seeking victory. He put God's heart above his own. Now, remember, he's about to go to Jericho. It's just right over there. And the battle plan that he's about to get is almost as ridiculous as circumcising the entire nation within a scout's distant distance of the enemy. The plan is this. Get everybody together and march around the city once a day for seven days. And then on the seventh day, do it seven times. And then shout. To which he's like, okay, so where's the part where we kill them? Where's the part where you, you know? And all he has to do is walk in faith when his entire life is hanging in the balance. And he's got to trust God that God is sovereign, so his identity doesn't go into his military might, his unbelievable strategy, because his strategy is flat out silly. Hey, that's, that's the plan. 
That's the plan. We're going to shout. And everybody listening to this goes like, there has to be more of that story. There was like, you know, like there's some, there's some sort of strategy involved. No, because if, if there was some sort of strategy, it might take the emphasis off God's glory working in this and that God did it. Does that make sense? So because there's a tendency in every single one of us, and what God was trying to prevent during this time was like having your identity drift from God to my ability, drift from God to my platform, drift from God to something else. There's always that struggle. Okay. Because God is not about sides. He's about his will. And you know where you see this kind of happen a lot um, is on uh, the football field of my backyard. And uh, my son Jet, and I love Jet very dearly, and there's something really special about basic rules of any sort of sport. And I don't know if you have what five-year-olds do, is they take the rules and they change them. They change what a touchdown is. They change what a ball is. They change what you now are playing tag and you have to chase me or you throw the ball to me and then if I catch it, I win. And if I drop it, you lose. You know, that's kind of how uh, it works in children's minds. Now, take that as compared to the NFL. The NFL um, has a Park Avenue office and everybody in the Park Avenue office has a book, a book of rules that they give to referees. And there's two teams on any given field and then there's guys in a different uniform and they're sort of overseeing the game. They might have a preference one way or another, but their job is not their preference. Their job is to execute the rules that have been passed down from another city of which they are now representing. You with me? You get where I'm going with this? We got a book. And we're on the field. And there's chaos all around. And we're supposed to go back to the book. And whenever people are starting getting off kilter and they're saying, every every party uses Jesus because Jesus is cool. And so when you say, this is what Jesus said or Jesus wants, this is what Jesus cares about, you go, "Let let me verify that in my book. Does this make sense? Because a lot of times we say all lots of stuff about Jesus and people love to use Jesus and do things in Jesus' name. And God, in his word, said, depart from me, I never knew you. Okay, so, and here's what's interesting, too. Do you guys know that uh, there aren't Republican democracies very many places in the world? Did you know there are Christians living in tyranny right now? Did you know that there are Christians living with socialism right now, and they're just fine with it? Did you know there are Christians uh, living under threat of persecution every day? And they're not thrilled by it, but they are, they've learned to be content in any and every situation. Did you guys know that? And we are in a unique position. This is what's so bizarre about this. Remember, this is why I said be active in politics is an important thing. And that we're in a unique position because we get to actively participate in upon electing government officials to lead us. It's so bizarre. It's so crazy. Like, this is a unique thing. And so what our heart should be is to put people into power uh, that would honor God. Honor, that's like a thing. And, and here's what I mean by that. That doesn't mean we need to elect a Christian. Do you guys know that? We're not looking for the pastor-in-chief. We're looking for commander-in-chief. Do you, guys, do you guys know that? And so what happens, what happens that we can confuse a lot of things on that because of personality or platform and all sorts of things get all jumbled up. And so I wanted to go, so when it comes to the question of who should I vote for, first, we don't let our identity be put into a party. We, we, we don't let our identity be put into a person. We put our identity in Jesus, and then we go and say, I will obey you. And since we have a unique calling as American citizens to elect our leaders, and we actively participate to see God's will done, how can we, if God is sovereign, how do we actively participate? That doesn't even make sense. And if you don't, sovereign's another churchy word for he's in control. How is if God is in control, does our vote matter? It matters. Here's how I know it matters. Do you know what prayer matters? But God says, pray, pray, you should be praying. And you're like, but he also says, but I already know what you need before you ask. Like, how does that work? 
Oh, watch this. So back in Job, one of my favorite books of the Bible, and if you're ever depressed, read that one. Uh, and uh, good times. And so a lot of times people think they're Job until they read Job. And they're like, nah, I'm not Job. It's not that bad. All right. Um, <laughs> so Job, in the very end of Job, um, God is fired up angry at all of Job's buddies. All right. You, there, he's like, I'm going to kill all you guys, but I'm not going to because I'm going to ask Job to pray for you. He's going to pray for you, then I'm not going to kill you. My wrath will turn from you. It was like this weird thing. It's like, he get, hey, Job, come over here. I need you to pray for them or else I'm going to just strike him down. It's like, whoa, all right. Dear God, don't strike him down. Okay, I won't. It's what? Okay, this happens in uh, 1 Kings. God's like, hey, uh, Elijah, I want you to pray that it doesn't rain. He's like, pray it doesn't rain. Boom, doesn't rain. Three years. Then he's like, hey, Elijah, pray that it will rain. He's like, I'm praying that it rains. Hey, Gershom, go check to see if it's raining yet. Not raining yet. Go check now. There's like, a, there's like a cloud the size of a fist. And then boom, it starts pouring. He prays it doesn't rain. He prays it rains. What is that all about? It's God loves to use his people to activate his will. That's how prayer works. And this, in this particular circumstance, where you get to participate in the election of a governing official, you participate in it. And so your vote matters. Okay? Okay. Now watch. Now watch. How then should you vote? There isn't a um, passage of Scripture that goes, <clears throat> for Americans voting in the 21st century, this is what you should look for in your leaders. Okay? But there is Romans 13, which talks about how you should be subject to your leadership. And oddly, it was when they were being, this is when Paul wrote this at a time when he was subject to Nero, who later beheaded him. Kind of awkward. All right, so let's see how that works into our American political framework. I'm going to do my best to interpret for you. Here we go. Romans 13. So make a little shift, a bunch of pages to the right. Romans 13, verse 1. Here's God's will for government leadership. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. This is... Paul writing to the people in Rome when Nero was emperor and he's going to get killed by him. Just throwing that out there one more time because there's a tendency to forget that. For there's no authority except from God and those that exist have been instituted by God. So government is to rule as God intends. Now, here's where you're like, whoa, 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 Chris, that sounds like theocracy. You're making me really nervous. That sounds like theocracy. And I'm not gonna, theocracy is where you have the church also be the state. And that's a disaster for the church. Here's why. When you have political ambition and you have to be a Christian first, it makes people fake being Christians all the time. In fact, there was a day. In fact, in the Constitution of Massachusetts, it says something about, and we're going to be a bastion for Jesus Christ, which is awesome. It's an awesome, great intention. But here's the problem with that. You have a lot of heathen hearts that want to be politically active, so they go to the church to get their certification, and then they get certified as Christian, but their hearts are unconverted. And so you have a lot of fake Christians going around purporting fake Christianity, and that does nothing but crush kingdom-mindedness. Okay? Did you, get, you guys know that, right? That's why you don't want a theocracy outside of what God instituted with Israel, and that is not happening at this moment. Do you guys know that? Another, we have a theocracy in the sense that Jesus is king, but his kingdom is not on this planet. But it's coming. He's coming. The, the king is coming. We get excited about the king coming. So, so watch, watch. There is something called common grace. You ever heard this term, common grace? Man, this is like, if you were a person like, just don't ever feed me. I'm feeding you today, all right? Here we go. Common grace is um, what a government provides, which gives you order from chaos. Uh, it, it's instituted by Christians or non-Christians alike. It's just common, common grace. When you have laws that work and when you have street signs that people obey, you're like, that's amazing. When you have roads, and I'm telling you, what we have for roads in America is like unbelievable. You go to a third world country and you're like, how does anybody get anywhere? They don't. Okay, so there's an unbelievable sense of common grace that's been bestowed upon our country that is free for all, okay? Special grace or 
specific grace is like salvific grace where you understand that Jesus died on the cross for you and he rose from the dead and that gives you election into heaven and, huh, election, see how I did that? Anyway, so he gets in, that gets you into heaven and this is a great joy for everybody. Okay, so that's the difference. So we're talking about common grace, not instituted by Christians, but instituted by God through all people. Like Nebuchadnezzar instituted common grace. Okay. So that means that that leader puts into place policies that reflect God's heart. That reflect God's heart for families. That reflect God's heart for marginalized people. That reflect God's heart for the unborn. That reflect God's heart uh, for taking care of people, for the poor, and for the rich. And there would be no sense of unfairness but rather we'd watch God's design unfold to which you're like, if you don't take time to think about this and research, you go like, yeah, that's what my guy does. So that's it. So the government is to rule as God intends. And so remember, since you get to actively participate in this, you've got to think through that and pray through that and make a decision. This is like when you, when you vote, it's like sort of like getting married. You want to actively participate with God, although he's sovereign. You know who you're supposed to marry after you say, I do. In the same way, you'll know who was supposed to be president after the election results. Okay, verse 2. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. Which, don't please, I, God bless you if you've said this. And don't say on Wednesday or whenever the final elections are announced, Please don't say that's not my president. That doesn't make any sense. For that to happen, you have to become a citizen of a different country. Otherwise, you're not a Christian. Awkward, right? Yeah. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. You say, no, he's not my president. Then you don't want what God wants. God wanted that guy, apparently. God wanted Donald Trump to be president. That gets everyone really awkward. I don't know if that means for Tuesday that, that, that's what he wants, but I do know that's what he wanted for the past four years. I know he wanted Barack Obama to be president for eight years. And I, there, if, during Barack Obama's president, I ain't my president, not my president. I'm like, oh my gosh. That, that, you literally have to leave the country, become a citizen of another country for that to be true. Stop saying that. You sound very foolish. And then the past four years, I heard the same thing. Okay, and those who resist his will will incur judgment. So watch, government leaders bring judgment on those who resist whom God has appointed. So this comes to, they bring judgment on violence and chaos, and that is their role as a leader because they're to effectively in place common grace to a nation for the good of all people. Does that make sense? Anarchy or chaos is not, that's not God's order. God is a God of order, not a God of chaos. And so he's always putting in place. And so those who resist that, the, the government's job is to ensure order. Watch. In fact, look at verse 3 says, For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. So they're kind of a terror to bad conduct. Bad things happen when you resist what God has instituted. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? In other words, government leaders execute justice, giving confidence to good citizens. Does that make sense? Good citizens get confidence by a leader who executes justice. And so when you're making a decision, you go, does this leader have uh, in his platform, in his character, in his personality, whatever that is, does he have the ability to execute justice? I mean, justice is a big deal to God. Okay. And I'm, justice for all people. Justice for those who can't speak for themselves. Justice for the marginalized, for the poor, and for the rich, all people. Do they execute justice for all? Okay, okay. Then do what is good, and you'll receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. Isn't that what God's always about? His glory are good. 
So government leaders serve their citizens for, it's a weird way to put that they're good, I mean for the citizens' good. And so the question you ask is, would the country be better off as a whole if this person were in charge? So you look at foreign policy. You look at the economy. You look at health care. You look at all the issues. You look at the value of life. You look at the value of uh, how we treat people. All those things for their good. Okay. And then back to this. But if you do wrong, be afraid. There's like, for he does not bear the sword in vain. Bearing the sword is part of the role of being a leader, which can be really frustrating for people because we want everyone to give us candy. But this is what he is. He's a servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. That's the part of the job description that nobody thinks they're like, I'm going to carry out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. But that's part of common grace, which allows order to be had in a place where you're actively participating in the government's role. Okay? So what candidate is going, to put, is going to put personal gain and popularity aside and bring justice to those outside the law? That's the question you've got to ask. Okay. Verse 5, therefore, one must be in subjection uh, not only to avoid God's wrath, because that's good, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes, to which everyone's like, what? That's in there. For the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. And then the last part, uh, which I forgot to put in, honor to whom honor is owed, which is sort of like really frustrating. Like, you mean I have to honor? Don't I have to earn my honor? No, you just got to give it to them. You owe them that. Government leaders steward taxes for public good as God intended, which means is this person be trustworthy with your money, or rather God's money, to effectually in place common grace, that order would be, would be sustained, that good would go for all. That becomes the question you got to ask. So then you're like, okay, so which one is it? Chris, you've gone through all that. Now tell me which one it is. Is it red or blue? Which one? What should I do? This one or this one? Should I go back and try and change my vote if I wrote it wrong, which you can't do in Texas, but don't worry about it. Red or blue? Which one is it? And here's what I want you to see is that this whole thing is all underneath God's plan. Sorry. And what God wants to do is take complete control of the whole thing. In fact, some people may vote red and some people may vote blue and they were following the Lord and that may be exactly what God wanted. So that in the common grace of the whole thing, one side is not 100% Christian block voting so that uh, a president or a leader could go and somehow try to corner the Christian vote as if it were one solid thing. And the reality is that, in fact, it might help a leader to recognize that um, he didn't have 100% and he needs to do better at grabbing or gravitating towards another side to bring everyone for the common grace, for the common good of all. So I don't all I know about what God is doing is he's calling us to actively participate. That you need to discern from God's word and his design of what common grace would look like. And whether your vote is red or blue, it don't matter because he's in complete control. But he wants you to participate and then actively understand what you're voting for and not blindly follow some media outlet that says that guy is going to destroy our country because nobody can destroy our country without Jesus say so. And I don't know if you guys know this, America ain't in the Bible. When I go to Revelation, it ain't in there. Where's America? All I know is that Jesus wins in the end. And that's all I need to know. In fact, one of the greatest things about this is that what this should point to is the fact that Jesus came. The fact that there is so much angst about an election means that we're hoping for something. Did you know that? All that this angst, all this frustration means, God, I want to know what you would have for us. God, I want, I want 
my anticipation that you're going to, something, somehow this thing could be fixed. That's a good anticipation. But the answer isn't in some government leader, but it's in Jesus. And we remind ourselves of that whenever we take communion. So if you'll see in front of you, the chair in front of you, there's like little communion cuppy things. And if you're at home, go grab your bread and drink. Don't take it yet. I Don't even open it. I don't want to hear any crinkling. I hear your crinkles. Because what I want you to remember is why we're doing this and stop focusing on trying to get the little wafer out, all right? Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread, he broke it. He gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In other words, your soul finds satisfaction in Jesus like your stomach finds satisfaction in bread. That your hope is not in anything on this earth, but in the heaven we're praying would come. And the same night, he took the cup and he said, this is my blood shed for you and for all people for the forgiveness of sin. Do this in remembrance of me. Remembering that Jesus died on that cross. And he, di- he died the death we deserved. And then he rose from the dead so that our hearts might be united with in eternity. Long after, when we won't even remember what happened in this election, when, with all the tension, all the consternation, when the news cycle repeats about 50 times, you're going to probably forget about this. You just will. Because we have short-term memory on just about everything. And this might be a, a page in the history books, and we'll look back and go, that was a weird time. And so my question then ultimately, as, we, as you're trusting in this moment, is will you vote with God? Will you stop identifying with party? Go do actual research because your vote matters. And then take God's word since you're a referee on the field and go, who is representing the kingdom of God for common grace best? And then answer that question. And then you allow God to be sovereign and then you submit to the authority that God has placed and call that guy your president because your king is still Jesus. So this morning, um, I want to do something before we take communion. I want to pray, but then I also want us to take some time to confess and repent. Because I think for a lot of us, we've drifted. Our heart has been so caught up in our feeds. And we've gotten wrapped around the axle about Um, my side versus their side, red versus blue, and we are so, uh, in a sense, saying stuff like, I can't understand why, and you haven't taken the time to listen. That may not mean you agree, but at least you understand why. And maybe you're voting without understanding why, because you've never taken the time to think. You just repeated and parroted what somebody else has said, maybe God said or heard, and you never looked for yourself. And so, um, this, this time, I want us to, to just pray and ask God to transform our hearts from focusing our identity on red or blue and focusing our identity on who Jesus is. And so I'm going to pray, and if you've never trusted Jesus, oh man. I can't think of anything better to do. Whenever the whole world seems like it's in chaos, the one who brought the answer, the one who was, came as king and was rejected, voted down, killed, but still rose from the dead, which allowed us to look at death not as the end, but as a point of demarcation for our ultimate hope and journey. And that's where our hope sits and lies. That's why we don't cry like those who have no hope. We look and we say, he's got the whole world in his hands. That's why we sing the songs. That's why we worship. Because this ain't our home. So we're going to pray. And if you want to trust Jesus today, I'm hoping that you do. Would you come find me later on? And we're going to talk about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Let's pray. And then we're going to take 30 seconds after that to confess, repent. And then we're going to take communion together. Okay. Father, I'm so grateful that you're on the throne. That there's nothing outside of your hand and your plan. 
that you have done great things for us. And your heart's cry is that we would never drift in our identity, that our hope will be firmly fixed on you and the cross. So Lord, I pray that uh, as we take some time to just confess and repent, that there'd be somebody here, if it may be for the first time, trust in you. They'd say, Jesus, I've been trusting in my party. I've been trusting in my identity as a person and my ability to make it through and make it happen. That God, you would cause that person to turn from the darkness of their heart, turn from their sin and turn to only hope in you. And that your hope will be built on nothing less in Jesus Christ and his righteousness. And we could sing the song. And Father, I pray that for those of us who've been born again and we have real relationship with you but we sort of drifted right way right or way left and our hope and our heart got focused in some sort of party politics as opposed to the king Jesus and we've gotten angry at those people and we've stopped trying to seek to understand and we've answered before listening we've been fools in our folly and I pray God that you would give us a heart of compassion and repent from our darkness and we would love and they would, the whole world would know we were Christians by our love. I thank you for that, Jesus. I pray, God, for um, this country. And I pray that you would do a work that on the backside of this thing would be an unbelievable sense of unity and hope as you put in your man so that the common grace of God would be bestowed on all. And that some may have hope to get that unbelievable gift of eternal life because we had the freedom to preach it. Thank you, God, for that. So, Lord, as we go into a time of confession and repentance, would you just stir our hearts for your glory? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Take 30 seconds. I'm just going to confess, repent of anything.